Our text this morning is from Job chapter 9 and 10. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains, and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun, and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear in Orion, the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out, and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless... He would prove me perverse. I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe my life. It is all one. Therefore, I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, who then is it? My days are swifter Then a runner, they flee away, they see no good. They go by like skips of reed, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all of my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, Yet you will plunge me into a pit, and my own clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of man or your years as a man's years? That you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin. 
although you know that I am not guilty, and there is none to deliver out of your hand. Your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made me like clay, and you will return me to the dust. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love and your care has preserved my spirit. Yet these things you hid in your heart, I know that this was your purpose. If I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am guilty, woe to me. If I am in the right... I cannot lift up my head, for I am filled with disgrace, and look on my affliction. And were my head lifted up, you would hunt me like a lion, and again work wonders against me. You renew your witnesses against me, and increase your vexation toward me. You bring fresh troops against me. Why did you bring me out from the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me, and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Then cease and leave me alone, that I may find a little cheer before I go and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order, where light is as thick darkness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So far in the book of Job, there have been speeches given by Job and two of his wise friends. And in these speeches, they have said a lot of things that are true about God and a lot of things that are false about God. It is possible to be a true believer and yet fall into error at times. Now, there are fundamental things that we must get right and believe. There are fundamental doctrines, as they are laid out in our confession and catechisms, But due to error in our fallen judgments, we can get a lot wrong. Especially when we're going through hardships. We can get our doctrine right, which is of utmost importance. But we can apply that doctrine incorrectly. In our text, we hear Job getting a lot right. While at the same time, he gets a lot wrong. And much like Job here... When bad things happen to us, we can say, since God is sovereign over all things, this is all his fault. And we may falsely conclude that God is unjust. But is that true? Then how are we to think of God when bad things are happening to us? Is God doing this to me? Well, the answer is much more complicated than a yes or no. Chapters 1 and 2 reveal to us that yes, God is sovereign over all things. And he governs the world and universe from his royal courts. He uses angels, both good and evil, to do his bidding for his own purposes. Well, what are his purposes? To conquer evil for his own glory. Think of Israel and how they were enslaved in Egypt. Wasn't it God who foreordained that to happen? Well, yes. But it is also the same God who would show his steadfast love and save them and lead them toward the promised land. 
Also think of the famous and oft quoted passage from this pulpit from Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He uses evil situations, evil angels, and evil people to accomplish his will in destroying evil. Just as he conquered Satan and his plans on the cross. The cross was evil, but much good came out of it. So how do we think of God's actions when evil happens to us? Is God to blame for evil? No, he is not the blame for sin. Rather, we should think that when good things are happening to us, like salvation, his mercy, his patience, how he blesses our lives, our families, gives us an abundance of health and wealth. This is God revealing his character directly to us. But when evil comes knocking on our door, it is not God revealing his character, but it is God working out his bigger plan. There is a bigger picture. And one day that evil that hurts us in the moment will be conquered. And we can look back and say, that was for my good and God has fulfilled his promises to me. So we do not see God's character in the moment of evil, but we will when it is all said and done. This is what Job doesn't quite understand yet. But this will help us when we struggle in this world, especially when evil strikes home. And it will help us to better understand what is going on with Job. God will use evil in Job's life to defeat Satan and to expose who Job really is. Because in his heart of hearts, Job is a struggling, yet he is a true believer. But Satan accused Job of being an unbeliever, and he is seeking to prove it and disturb God's plan of redemption. But he will fail. Until then, as we will see, Job is working out his faith. And as he is working out his faith, he will have bumps in the road. This is the common experience of every Christian. As we live the Christian life, we hear and study the word of God. And as we are working it out in our lives and in our minds, we too will have bumps in the road. But in our text, we begin with Job's desire and longing. We hear of his heart before we hear of his failure to grasp God's character. He longs to stand before God. He longs to be accepted by God. This is the longing of every Christian. So he opens up his speech against Bildad by agreeing with him sarcastically. He says, truly I know that it is so. That God will not reject a blameless man nor take the hand of evildoers. He will repay the righteous with rewards. Job believed this at one point. He believed what Bildad believed, that since God is just, then the innocent will not suffer. But since Job is innocent, and he is suffering, this must not be true. So he asks, but how can a man be in 
the right before God? How can a man stand justified before God? Isn't this the question that all sinners must grapple with at some point? How will I stand before a holy God seeing that I am so unholy? As we will see, this is the deepest longing of Job's heart throughout the book. He wants to stand before God. He longs for God more than anything else, more than anything he has lost, including his children, his wealth, or even his health. He longs for God. But the problem is, Job has lost the sense of God's steadfast love for him. Because Job is not just acknowledging that he is a sinner here. But he is saying that no matter how righteous someone is, and no matter what a righteous man does, he is too small and unequipped to defend himself in the courts of God. That no matter what, God will always consider man as his enemy. He is saying, there is no way for a man to stand just before God. He repeats what Eliphaz insinuates with his rhetorical question back in chapter 4 verse 17. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Well, ask yourselves, isn't that what Satan wants us all to believe? And what were the sacrifices for that Job offered back in chapter 1 verse 5? Wasn't it for the atonement of sin? So here Job comes pretty close to blasphemy. But yet again, he doesn't curse God or turn away from him. He is simply wrestling with God's character in light of his own dark circumstances. He believes That he is cut off from God. While the truth is. He can never be plucked from his father's hand. So first. He laments God as judge. Secondly. He laments. His condemnation. And third. He makes his appeal to God. So first. In his response to Bildad. Job laments the fact that. God is judge. He uses courtroom language. If one wished to contend with him, uh, contend with him as he is a judge, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. What he says here foreshadows when God would finally confront Job and say to the effect, I will ask the questions and you answer me, Job. And that would pretty much silence Job later on. So the main point he is trying to get across is that it is impossible to stand before God in court while on trial. But why is it impossible? Job summarizes by saying that God is wise at heart and mighty in strength. His wisdom is hidden from men and we are not strong enough to box with God. Who has hardened himself against him or who has gone to war with God? Uh, Think of Pharaoh in Egypt when he hardened himself And he tried to fight against God. Who has ever done this and won? No one. So Job's longing for God will never be realized. Because to Job, God's just character prevents him from standing before God. And he continues to explain why. And much of what he says is true. But he is missing a major piece of the puzzle. First he says... 
that God has sovereign power over the cosmic order, over creation, and brings destruction on whatever and whenever he pleases. He is the one responsible for undoing creation. He first mentions the strong foundations, the mountains and pillars that God created and set in place so that it should not be moved. The mountains and pillars symbolizes the solid nature of the good created order that God had put in place. In the Psalms, it says that when the earth does move, like when the angels judge unjustly and the foundations of the earth are shaken, it is God who keeps the pillars steady. But Job says that God removes mountains and they know it not when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. God is the one who shakes the earth out of its place. God is the one who shakes its foundation. Job is saying he is the cause of evil and disorder in this world. He undoes his own creation. He even turns off the lights that he created to guide us in Genesis 1, who commands the sun and did not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Uh, This is symbolic of God walking on the back of the mythical and pagan God of chaos. The sea is where it is believed to be the abode of demons and Satan himself and Leviathan. Uh, Who cannot think of when Jesus walked on water? Symbolizing the fact that he is the God who tramples the waves of the sea to demonstrate and reveal his almighty power. But the difference was, was that it was for the good of his disciples that he did this. It was out of love for his disciples he trampled the waves of the sea to reach out with a gentle word of salvation and comfort. He continues, he set the constellations in the sky, the bear and the Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south. And he repeats what Eliphaz says in chapter 5, verse 9, when he says that God does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. But Eliphaz was telling him that he should seek God because of God's great power. But here, Job turns it around. The fact that God does great things is all the more reason for him not to seek God. It is futile to plead his cause to an all-powerful God who at any time can and does undo his creation. Where is his hope to be found in a God like this? Secondly, God cannot be seen. He is invisible which means God is evasive. To box with God is like boxing the air. You can never strike or touch him. He says, behold, he that is God passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? Just as God cannot be understood, he cannot be seen because he alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. As Psalm 18 says, he is almost accusing God of being sneaky here when he took everything from him. Why not show yourself? asks Job. Am I the enemy? Am I like the helpers of Rahab? 
Again, he is familiar with pagan literature and he brings up another mythical creature which resembles Leviathan. Rahab is a mythical dragon of the sea, a demonic being. If I am the enemy, God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed even the helpers of Rahab. Job is saying, I am doomed. I am doomed. God is all powerful and he cannot be seen. What hope do I have? This is the reaction of many in our world and maybe even here in the church. God cannot be seen. What hope do we have? But remember, the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness that Paul mentions. That he was manifested in the flesh. So that we may see and touch the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God is not this evasive being that's far off and distant. He comes to us. He reveals himself to us. Both in his word and in the flesh. So Job is mistaken here. So he concludes that God is too strong for him. He asks, how then can I answer him, choosing my words with him, though I am in the right, which he is. Job is a justified believer. He's a justified believer, going through the sometimes grueling pains of sanctification. He was declared blameless and upright by God himself. But he says, I cannot argue my case because God is too strong. I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. I think he has him confused with someone else because Satan is the accuser of God's people, not God. God hasn't accused him of anything yet. He says, if I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. It is like trying to reason or argue with a tornado that leaves destruction in its paths and it is heading your way. He just knocks the wind out of you. The funny thing is, later on, God would visit Job in a tempest or a whirlwind to confront him. And he says, he multiplies my wounds without cause. Again, I think he has him mistaken with Satan because it was Satan who incited God against Job to destroy him without reason. We read this in chapter 2, verse 3. But the Lord has a promise to fulfill, a purpose to accomplish, and a reason that Job doesn't realize yet. And the same goes for any one of us as we question whatever we're going through at this moment. But for now, Job concludes that God is too strong for him. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. He is saying even though he knows he is in the right, in God's unjust courtroom he would just have to settle with blaming himself admit his guilt and receive God's condemnation there is no use so his second conclusion is that God is unjust in defiance to what his friends have suggested again he proclaims that he is blameless 
but he regards not himself, meaning he is so full of sorrow that he is confused and he doesn't know what he is saying or doing. He says, I loathe my life. It is all one. Therefore, he says in contradiction to what Bildad said, that God does not reject the blameless. Job says he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. He is impartial in his destruction. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. He laughs at the innocent just as he sits in the heavens and laughs at the wicked nations who rage and plot in vain against him. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. To cover one's face is like turning a blind eye so that others can receive bribes. These are some awful accusations and they are downright blasphemous. But deep down, I believe Job knows that he is wrong because he asks the question, if it is not he, who then is it? He is giving an honest observation based on the truth that God is in control of everything. Who else would have done this injustice to him? What is the reason behind it? The problem is that all that Job says here so far is based on a misunderstanding of God's character. He is confusing God's character with his bigger plan. Even in the destruction of the wicked and the righteous, he fails to acknowledge the fact that God loves the righteous even in their death. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It is not over for Job and Job will stand justified in the courts of God. After answering Bildad just as he did in his response to Eliphaz, Job turns to God and secondly, he laments his condemnation. He feels condemned under the justice of God. He longs for the day when he would finally appear before God, be tried and condemned, or so that the judge would reverse his decision. But at any moment, he is going to be gone and compares his life to the things that are quick on the land, sea, and the air. My days are swifter than a runner. Imagine a gold Olympic medalist running by. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of reed, boats carrying papyrus going down the Nile River, like an eagle swooping on the prey. So he is asking, what is he to do with his life that is just flying by? What is he to do under this harsh judgment of God? What can we do under God's judgment and justice? That's something we should all ask as we are sitting here. What can we do? Under his judgment? The answer is simple nothing. So he describes three ways of escape the first being pointless, the second is also pointless without the third. And hopefully you can follow that and you'll understand once I get there. So the first way of escape is to move on and pretend that all is well. Forget about it all and just put on a happy face. Act like everything is all good. Now, this is how many of us act when we know it is not all good. Whether we are battling with disease, or we lost someone close, or it is like an unbeliever 
who tries to live on without ever thinking of God and pretend that everything is okay when you know it is not. But this proves hopeless because it is not just moving on from human or worldly loss. It is not just about him losing everything. It is about the fact that he is under the judgment of God, or so he believes. Listen to what he says. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? We can't just run from the judgment of God or move on from God. He is everywhere. We cannot escape. And he is convinced that God will find him guilty and condemn him finally. So why do I keep trying to make myself right with God? It will never happen. But at the same time, I can't just forget about it and run away. His second way of escape is to try and wash or cleanse himself of whatever he is guilty of. He says something similar to what David says in Psalm 51. He is not so much saying that he will wash himself with snow. Snow doesn't really clean much. But rather he is saying that he will wash himself and he shall be whiter than snow or as white as snow. He would wash his hands with lye, which is a a cleaning solution. Many of you probably still use this of uh, potassium hydroxide. But all this becomes pointless as well because yet you will plunge me into a pit. Imagine a pit of mud. And I'll be so dirty that my own clothes will abhor me. They will not want to touch my skin. So he is saying no matter what Job does to cleanse himself, he believes that he will come out guilty. And finally, his third way of escape and his final hope. Remember, the first was pointless. The second is pointless without the third. His final hope is in a mediator. It's in a mediator. Someone who will stand between him And God, because the problem with God, according to Job, is that he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him. That we should come to trial together. He is too transcendent. He is totally and completely other than us, that he cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So if anyone was to stand trial with him, it would not be a fair trial. Now, this sounds a lot like the God of Islam, doesn't it? But this is not the one true God of the gospel. Because our God has promised throughout the scripture that he was going to be with us. And its ultimate manifestation is revealed in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as I mentioned earlier. But Job looks around and sees there is no arbiter. That is another word for mediator between us who might lay his hand on us both. That is to come between us. And make sure that both parties keep the rules of the court and seek justice. Job was once a mediator for his children. And now he is the one who needs a mediator. But he sees none. Because again, Job's deepest longing is for God himself. He wants to come before God. But because of his suffering, he believes that he is under God's judgment. So now he longs to be justified. 
and reconciled to God to settle things. And the only way he could do this is through a mediator or arbiter who will take God's rod of judgment and punishment from him and let not the dread of God terrify him. He says, Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. In other words, I cannot approach him as I am and as things are between us. So there is no hope without this mediator. Now, even though Job is mistaken about his standing before God, he is mistaken about God's character and how God works in his fallen creation, there is still a hidden gem of the gospel truth here. Because the truth is, what we all need is a mediator. What Job needs so badly is what we need. All men need a mediator between us and God. And the scriptures tell us there is only one mediator between God and men, and it is the man, Jesus Christ. See how the gospel mystery is woven all throughout scripture, even in Job's confusion. Now Job seems to be stuck on this imaginary trial with God, the judge asking, when will he appear before God? Because that is his utmost desire. Although he is confident that he will be condemned no matter what. And this is all based on his misunderstanding of God's character. So finally, he makes his plea to God in chapter 10. And he does this by asking four questions. First, why do you contend against me? He says, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? He doesn't understand why God is against him. Why is he paying so much attention to him and not to the wicked? Secondly, Again, repeating what he says in chapter 7, when he accused God of being a big brother, he asks, Why do you watch me like other men, looking to find guilt? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of man, or your years as man's years, that you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin? Although you know that I am not guilty, and there is none to deliver out of your hand, God is not like men. He sees all things inside and out. He has all the right qualifications to be judge of all the earth. He is all powerful and he knows all things. So he should know that Job is innocent. And for Job, it is unjust that he is going through this judgment. Third, repeating the same theme of chapter 3. Why was I created in the first place? What was the point? Your hands have fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made me like clay. He brought dust to life and animated it. What a wonderful imagery of the process of creating man like a potter molding clay. But he accuses God of drying up that piece of clay and returning it to dust. What's the point of creating man if God is just going to destroy man? Then he creatively describes the process 
of pouring out milk to curdle it into cheese in a rhetorical question to relate it to the creative process of creating man. You clothe me with skin and flesh on the outside and knit me together with bones and sinews on the inside. You have granted me life and steadfast love and your care has preserved my spirit. So he is saying, yes, you are a loving God, but yet these things you hid in your heart. I know this was your purpose. If I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am guilty, woe to me. If I am in the right, I cannot lift up my head for I am filled with disgrace and look on my affliction. And were my head lifted up, you would hunt me like a lion and again work wonders against me. You renew your witnesses against me and increase your vexation toward me. You bring fresh troops against me. Job thinks, no matter what I do, God shoots me down. Guilty or innocent. I can't lift my head because of my suffering. I lift my head, you put it back down. He keeps bringing up new charges against Job. And contrary to the rest of scripture, Job says that God is not slow to anger. In fact, he increases his anger against him. And he adds trouble upon trouble to his life. What is the point? He can't understand why God is against him and why he put so much wonderful work into knitting him together from the dust just to destroy him. Fourth, much like chapter three, he asks, why was I born alive? Why was I not a stillborn? At least there I would have some peace and rest. Why did you bring me out from the womb? With that I had died before any eye had seen me. And were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Then cease. And again he repeats what he says back in chapter 7. Leave me alone. That I may find a little cheer before I go. And I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow. The land of gloom like thick darkness. Like deep shadow without any order. Where light is as thick darkness. He accused God of destroying and undoing his creation. And he can't wait until it is all over for him. He can't get there quickly enough. Much like chapter 3, the fact that he is crying out to God. And that he is searching out for answers is a sure sign of hope. There is enough evidence here that tells us that Job is a true believer. A struggling believer, but he is a true one. We will come across some who are true believers but who are struggling in the same way at times it may be you sitting here today in these pews they don't understand why all this bad stuff is happening to them but aren't we all grappling with the truth of God and his goodness with the reality of evil and trouble in our own lives see Job is wrong in his observations about God's character He is most wise, most holy, most just. But he is also most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. And we must be reminded that we see God's character and his steadfast love for us most beautifully portrayed in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is proof that God has turned his anger away from all who put 
their trust and hope in Him. That through Jesus and what He has done on our behalf, we are in right standing with God. We do have a mediator and one day we will appear before Him and we will be regarded as blameless and upright no matter what the evil one says. He will wash our robes as white as snow in the blood of the Lamb. And when we are in dark situations and evil circumstances, we must remember that God uses dark providences to reveal who we are, our longings and our desires. Then he teaches us something about himself. And that there is a bigger picture, a bigger plan that we cannot see. As William Culper wrote in the song that we uh, replaced earlier, uh, behind a frowning providence hides a smiling face. And the glimmer of hope that we see in Job is that he turned to God and he longed for God. My question for you today is, what is your longing? Do you long for God? Do you long to appear before Him? Then turn to Him. When all seems hopeless and dark, and as Jesus promised, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I'll close with that word this morning. Amen.